Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. I want to say Happy New Year to all of you. This is being released on New Year's Eve, so if you're listening on the day it's released... I hope the next year, and and I hope you stay awake until midnight, and I hope the next year is great for you. If you've already made it through New Year's Eve, I hope it didn't treat you too rough, and I really hope that you are able to accomplish the goals that you have for yourself for the upcoming year. Today's episode is number 31, Remarkable Scent Dogs and How to Train Them. So in today's episode, Kathy Filler of the Westmoreland County Obedience Training Center regales us with scent dogs' abilities and how we're able to help them become the best scent dog that they can. She's going to talk about some training things that are specific to scent dogs but can be applied to any kind of working dog. Kathy is an absolutely wonderful trainer. She's worked with dogs for many, many years and her dogs are, well, they're better than mine. Uh, I, w- I wish my dogs were would listen as well as hers do. No, not to knock my dogs. I love my dogs. They're great. Uh, but she definitely takes her training to a whole nother level. Now, let's sit and stay and listen to another great episode. Hi, Kathy. Thanks for coming on with me today. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Good. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about scent work and, and training dogs and, and everything that goes along with scent work and that kind of thing. So um, to get us started, can you just sort of tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? How did you get into training dogs? Uh, you know, How long have you been doing it? And what is it about scent work that you're passionate about? Well, I started about 25 years ago. I got my first lab from a, um, it, it, he technically is from a uh, Amish breeder, so what we call one of those backyard breeders, and I got him from a broker uh, not far from Apollo, I believe, and um, so I didn't start out the right way with getting a dog, but um, I'm now on my sixth one, and we... When I got him, he was crazy, black lab, and we did um, obedience, and he was, like I said, crazy. <laughs> Took a couple basic obedience classes, and then I, um, with the club that I belong to, we tried agility in, uh, at the green, old Green Gate Mall in, West, in uh, Greensburg. And the activity kind of helped the release for him, and... It took some focus, but he liked the movement and everything else. So we st- that's where I started my agility career. And I stayed in obedience, too. I did um, different venues with AKC, um, uh, UKC, which is United Kennel Club. And we you know, got a couple titles there. But I really, really fell in love with agility because I um, I'm not a structured person and uh, a lot of obedience is very structured you have to follow the same routine agility is a fly by the seat of your pants kind of thing if something goes wrong can you can you fix it in like half a second and that's what i liked 
Um, so I had Jake, he did really well. And then I had Bailey who didn't like agility. He was very, um, timid. I got an Australian shepherd who was also very timid, didn't like the show scene. And then I wound up getting, uh, my second Australian shepherd who risk, who, um, excelled beyond my wildest dreams. I got a couple championships on her and as she got older and she couldn't jump any longer, lo and behold, there's this new, new dogs. Okay. Uh, so risk was coming to the end of her career and I did not want to put her on the back burner or anything like that. I had another, I had my fifth dog, which was a border collie and she risk was my heart dog. I had to find something to do with her and along comes nose work. And we had a great, um, we were a great team. We, she knew what I was thinking. I kind of knew what she was thinking, (laughs) but, um, we wound up really excelling at nose work and first trial traveled to New Jersey, you know, took first place, shocked the heck out of me. Um, our second trial, we passed our, and then when we went for our third one, um, it took me four tries, but we did it. And she got like one of the higher honors. There's higher honors now, uh, titles, but at the time that was pretty good. And, uh, but I lost her a year and a half ago and, um, Dodge is now doing it, my border collie. And now I have a puppy, another Australian shepherd and Wren, I started fairly early and she She's got two titles and we got other issues, but we're still working them on. <laughs> she's a puppy. I got to keep remembering that even though she's two, she's still young, but I love nose work. I mean, scent work, nose work. Um, for somebody who can't be very mobile, cause I have bad knees. So it's a, it's not very physical for me, not very physical for the dog. It's very, um, mentally work, you know, gets them mm-hmm. tired. Um, and for the older dogs, it's a great, great sport for older dogs and old dogs can learn new tricks. Okay. Uh, so we know all dogs noses are crazy good. Yes. Right. Um, and we're all biased with the type of breeds that we like. like I'm a Brittany guy. <laughs> you, know, you know, you like border collies and, and Aussies, and Aussies yes. right. Um, but it, when you're going to these trials, like, do you see a specific breed of dog that really seems to excel at this kind of work? Yes and no. I mean, with the canine, the, with the nose work, um, and ACSW, the founders were big German shepherd people because they do protection work and they come from the military background. So it seems like there's a lot of shepherds in that area, but Actually, no. I mean, it just depends on how well of a trainer you are and if you're consistent. I've seen bulldogs competing. Um, schnauzers. Okay. Yeah. It, dachshunds. Um, y- any dog can compete. Yeah, cause I know looking at it, really, it's just media portrayal, right? I mean, what you see whenever you see like a police dog or even like the dogs that work at the airport, a lot of times they're German Shepherds mm-hmm. or it's more of the... Uh, intimidating style breed, um, I guess a little bit. And then whenever, which makes sense because it's law enforcement as well. Um, but then whenever you watch movies like the Shawshank Redemption, when they're going after a prisoner that escaped, they're taking a bloodhound or a blue tick hound, mm-hmm. uh, a dog like that. Um, 
but that now we're seeing in the hunting world, a lot of people are training their dogs for game recovery. So, you know, you shoot an animal, you lose the blood trail, you can't find it. You call in a guy, you know, someone that has a dog that's trained for it. And that dog will still trail the scent of that animal until you find it. And it just seems to be like breeds all over the place. Like just someone decides like, Hey, I like my dog. I want to work with my dog. Let's train him to do this. Um, so one of the, you know, some of the real good ones are, you know, the smaller breeds is dash hounds and, and things like that. It, it It's amazing to me that all those dogs are, every breed is still good. Yeah. At, at what they can do. It's not, you don't have to be just pigeonholed with just this type of right. type of dog. So, I know, you know, if we sat here and, and tried to list, like, all the kind of jobs that dogs could do to help us finding something, we would take us, we'd be here all night. Um, but have you worked with any dogs that have gone into, like, working as scent dogs? Or are you trying to, or have you worked mainly with ones that just do sort of trials? Um, I do basically pet people who want to compete. And that's what the the kind of classes I teach. Um, I have friends who are fellow judges because I am a judge too. Okay. Um, that they work in search and rescue, and but I and they and their dogs mainly do that. It's fun to do this, right? Um, I also there's a, a gentleman who has um, I've seen in our club and who's come to my class a few times. He does cadaver work, so. Um, I personally don't push towards something else. I have a full-time job. I can't. (laughs) Yeah, I understand. That's a lot of training that you got to do to get a dog to that aspect. So what, for trials, what kind of scent are we using to train the dogs? And then also like in the trials themselves, like what scent is it that they're. It's basically uniform with the NACSW and with AKC. Um, the first level is what we call birch. Okay. And then the second level is a, can be birch and anise. Okay. And then the third level will include clove. And that is for NACSW. AKC has the same three cents, but they have a fourth level where they added cypress. Oh, okay. Now, um, you have, I believe it's, UKC, there's um, canine, there's dog, canine dog sports. I don't remember. There's so many now that are popping up. Um, I also belong to the Australian Shepherd Club of America. We're developing our own scent program too. Okay. So we will have those scents as a basic because it's, it's basically, it's not hard to train them on different scents. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I te- when I have students that are in the beginner's levels and I see how well they're doing, sometimes I throw out another scent and don't even tell them. And their dogs find it. And they're shocked because they're like, really? There was another scent? I says, yeah. Dogs start to pick up that there's something different here and I'm going to alert on that different odor. And But we do try to train them on all those three scents, basically. Okay. It, it, so do those scents, are they less potent as they go up in levels or is it just different sense that the dog sort of has to know and, and be searching for? Well, they say that, uh, clove is, 
I think clove is really strong. I mean, I can smell it sometimes when we just set them out for training. Um, same with birch. It depends also on how well you scent the Q-tip, okay. the scent, you know, the aid. Um, NACSW does um, one or two drops for maybe, I can't remember the exact thing. It's like 10 or 30 in a bottle. And they just let it, the air, when it's contained, they let it saturate. AKC says two drops per Q-tip, which is really strong. Okay. But when you train, you you use old stuff that's starting to diminish. But those odors, I, I've been to a seminar where somebody said they lost, they had an odor on a, they had a container on a vehicle and it fell down into the engine. And dogs, six months later, still alerted wow. to it. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, because dogs are just so good, right? I mean, if yeah. we, if it's powerful to us, I mean, it's got to be real powerful. To yeah. Them. Yeah. Huh. That's, that's crazy. Dogs, man, they're awesome. Uh, so, and I know this is very dog dependent and handler dependent, but how many hours of training does it typically take before you would expect success at a tri- at a trial? It really depends on the training. Okay. It really, really depends on the training. I, I had a basic class that I started and I think they're basically in their second session. So we're talking about, and they didn't even have a full eight week session. So it was maybe six and then seven weeks um, I knew at the end of the six weeks that I had some people that could start trialing if they really wanted to. Um, some people just train the one the one night that they come to class. Mm-hmm. I really push on them to get um, certain tools, and I give them odor. I want them to go home. They should train every night. Uh, train during a commercial while you're watching TV. And takes quite a while it's more mm. consistency than anything okay and then because uh, you're really good with your timing and how well you reward then the dog catches on fairly quick if you're lackadaisical like some of my students can be their dogs aren't getting it as well yeah. and i and i have to go you're not doing that right <laughs> as a teacher i completely understand that <laughs> um so you already said that old dogs can learn new tricks. Is there a, like a specific age that would be best to start a dog with the training or is it just, or it doesn't matter just anytime you want to start, as long as you're consistent with training. I think at any time I truly do. Cause, um, I have a friend who started her puppy very young. Um, I think, I don't know. He might be having some issues right now. I don't know if it's that she wants to be at the, him to be almost perfect when she trials. Um, my puppy was started maybe at nine months and, um, I took her to a test when she was just about a year and she passed two of the three that we call the motor recognition tests. She passed her birch. She passed her clove. I screwed up the anise. (laughs) So, you know, it, they can start at any time, you know, risk dodge. Also my border collie, he started maybe when he's 11 and a half. Now he probably started when he was five or six. 
And like I said, Risk was probably 10 when I started her. Okay. Would it be best to start with obedience training, just have the basic handling with the dog, or they nope. should be able to pick up the I don't. I don't do any... I'm not a big... Uh, I shouldn't say that. Um, you don't need obedience. Okay. No. There's no sit-stay that's needed. In fact, I would prefer... I actually see where some dogs who've done so much obedience that they flip to the obedience when they should be searching because obedience is so much about the handler telling the dog what needs to be done. Pay attention to me. I'll tell you what to do. When it's scent work, we want the dog to do it all on its own. You know, go out there, you find it, and if I'm good enough, or if you train an indication, or if you don't, um, then I will know what's going, you know, what you're doing and what, mm-hmm. you know, if you found it or not. So the sound works more, let the dog do what it does best. Yes. Type, type Try deal. to keep yourself out of it as much yeah. as you can. That So that sounds a lot like hunting to me. Yeah. Um, and I have two bird dogs uh, that I hunt. We're weekend warriors because, you know, like you, full-time yeah. job. I can only <laughs> do so much. Um, Got to pay for the habit, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, you know, the way that I started both of them was I had a pheasant wing. I got them, you know, I put it in their face, got them to smell it, um, let them play with it a little bit uh, without tearing it up too much. Uh, And then eventually got to the point where I, you know, tied it to a string, would drag it through the yard, you know, have them sort of trail it a little bit, and there it is, that kind of thing. Um, What what would be the first step with training a scent dog? different um what do i want to say two different theories about it um ak um, i'm sorry nacsw which is the one who dreamed all this up um they're all about teaching the dogs how to hunt and that means search for food and they'll do that for eight to 16 weeks um search you know just find it in boxes and you make the puzzles a little bit harder and does a dog keep looking and looking and looking, not just giving up? Because some dogs can get afraid of pushing around boxes and, you know, it's just not worth it. And they give up, you know, mommy will give me a cookie if I just sit here, you know, or if okay. I lay down or what, or I bark. Um, when I, I started out that way, but as a dog trainer, I look at, and plus I, I, I teach the public public needs to be not entertained, but they need to see results a lot quicker. It right. seems they get very bored quickly. They don't usually have the, um, the aspect of I got to do this correctly and it takes time. Us humans want results very quickly. Mm-hmm. So I've start when I started teaching, I, um, I think the first night we hunted for food, or I showed them what, what I call um, a bowl. And that's just where you basically you can take a bowl and find a colander that fits in it. Because the ones I made were two bowls of that, exactly the same, but we drilled holes at the bottom of the one. Okay. Two plastic bowls. And you put the odor in between the bowl, the two bowls, and then you throw cookies in the bowl. 
So when the dog goes on and eats the cookies, he's getting odor as he eats. And my, the way I teach it is, and I taught that the first night, is you just start throwing cookies down in there. Keeping their head in the bowl with their nose on top of the odor. And they just start associating odor cookies cookies smell cookies. Uh, just that positive reinforcement oh, of the yeah. smell is you don't say anything you're just if you keep your head in that bowl there goes a cookie and it'll come um as your dog starts understanding you just if you stop feeding the cookies because you're jackpotting that's a quick rapid fire um you hesitate the dog should just keep its head in the mm. bowl you know its nose is down there because all they know is is if it's down here food's going to appear mm. So that's how we start teaching that to them. Okay. Um, Did that answer that right? Yeah. No, okay. that's exactly what I was looking for. Um, so once you once you start that, like you said, it's consistency. So what every you know week after that, when you're having more classes, like how are you changing it to where it's not just a bowl with scent in it and we're throwing the cookies in? So the students are told, you know, I show them what the bowls look like and the, and how we do it. Um, I show them how it's done with their dogs because I'll, I'll do it initially. I, n- I normally do that because all dogs are different, mm-hmm. as all people are. Um, some dogs might not like it, or I just got to figure it out by being with them to figure out how they're going to work. So then the uh, owners do it, and you know their job is go home, get the balls, and you need to practice this on your own. As far as classes, we keep practicing that, but then we start um, just with cardboard boxes. Um, we put food in there, they hunt for it, and then um, we will add a tin with odor, little round tins. I don't, I don't know how to explain them too much, like a pillbox. Okay. There you go. Um, and there's holes drilled on, in them so the odor can escape. So we'll put um, in a... Um, I don't know, about a 15 by 15 um, enclosed gated area will put boxes down. And the owner's instructed to stand at the gate and let the dog loose. You don't come in. This is why people are not supposed to be involved in the searches. You know, don't don't get in your dog's way. So we want the dog to search for the food and he's going to find, and when he gets to that food, there's odor there like it is with the bowl. And we, there would be myself and an assistant. So when they find the one box with odor and they eat all the food, I pick the box up. Now they're like, oh. And they turn around and they start searching for another box. So when they hit that one, meanwhile, I'm loading mine, put it down in a different area. Mm-hmm. When they hit the other box, the assistant picks that up. Now they go, the dog has to go search again. And we'll do that like three searches. And the dogs start understanding, you know, keep looking. Right. Um, after that, for a while, then I'll move on to um, a corner of a room. And I'll put a tin down, put some food on it. Uh, we use a small bathroom. And uh, let the dog into the bathroom. And do they smell the food? Do they smell the odor? Mm-hmm. They can't tell us. But they find it. Right. And then what we do is... I instruct them that 
while they're while the dog is going down and they're eating the food off the tin, I want you to stand over and drop food down. Like it's the bowl, but it's not the bowl. Right. It's not very clean. It'll bounce. It'll go other places. But the dog always comes back to the odor and the tin, looking for more food because the dog now knows there's odor. Food will appear. So we start doing that. Um, and then after a couple of weeks, you know, we move it around and maybe I'll hide it this time. Um, put it in a, oh, I can't even think like a, like a cupboard and I'll prop the cupboard, cupboard open a little bit. The dog finds odor. The person has to come in now and hand feed the dog. Cause now okay. there's nothing to throw, you know, there's no food. Um, we try to pair what I, where we leave food on the odor as much as possible okay. because humans are slow mm-hmm. and they're looking for this dog to tell them where the odor is. Right. And that's not what we're, it's not how I actually training though. I'm thinking of, because like I said, I talked to that friend, the cadaver trainer. I'm thinking of starting to teach an indication, a sit mm-hmm. or a down. And, um, but people always want the dog to turn and look at them. And I always tell them, um, as, as we progress, if your dog has turned and looked at you, he's saying, Hey, stupid, here it is. <laughs> <laughs> um, you're too late. You should have been rewarding the dog while the dog's nose was finding the odor. Right. Cause I, I guess when the dog turns and looks at you, it's taken its nose off of that odor and right. everything you've set up to this is trying to keep the dog's nose yes. where that source of yes. the odor is. Yes. Okay. That, that makes sense. Um, so use the bowl with the holes in it. Is there any other kind of equipment or anything else other than the tins and, and that to make the training any easier? Have you found anything that sort of helps dogs or even, I guess really more helps the trainer along in, uh, no, I mean, there's way, there's so many different ways. I, I see different, um, I get to know different judges from different, you know, like the NACSW. Um, like I said, there is a lot of guys in there from the military. So their training is a lot different. They do, um, I don't want to, a cork board, but the cork boards are bigger. They can hold a ball or something. Okay. Um, you know, a lot of those people will use that method where the ball will come shooting out once they find the odor or they'll throw the ball from behind because the dog, the, those military style trained dogs will, you know, they're very high drive, yes. very yes. high drive. So when they find odor, I see them just freeze with their nose on it in a hole. And, you know, then when the ball comes and they know, you know, that's the reward, um, there's all different types of methods, but this is what I have found to be the probably the easiest for people to get their hands on and to understand because the other ones are a little bit more intense. Okay. So I have, I have hunting dogs. I love to hunt my dogs. If I would, would it be possible for me to have my very poorly trained hunting dogs because it's my fault? Um, would I be able to have them also do scent work and would the dogs be smart enough to be able to sort of separate those two concepts? I think so. I mean, 
Your mom does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she does. Well, I mean, her dogs don't hunt, but um, they're very bird oriented. They are. <laughs> yes, they're very bird driven. Uh, very hard. Yeah. Because um, that's something that I'm always a little. Um, I've thought about this, and I, it's something I'm a little hesitant with because the hunting comes first. I don't want to sabotage that any more than I already have as a novice hunting bird hunting trainer um because i like i talked to my mom about uh you know being able to find shell casings right shell casings um and i thought that would be cool to teach my dogs how to do that and then i started thinking well if i'm walking through a field and all of a sudden my dog instead of going on point stops and indicates on someone spent shotgun shell and we spend the whole day the whole morning just indicating over shotgun shells and not finding birds i'm not going to be happy with myself that i laid that on my dog right so i'm just curious how and i know breeds are different dogs are different but do you, do you think it would be possible to train them between the two so for the shell casings and the birds or well for scent work scent works and, central and work bird training and bird yes training. Okay. yeah i do um in scent work more than likely you're going to put them in a harness and they're going to be leashed so they're no, they don't get the only time they get any free reign they're not on leash is usually in an interior search. So okay. you have no outside. Um, and also, when you hunt with your dogs, you use a different type of collar, don't you? Different collar, and, and I put vests on. And that's one thing that, why I'm thinking I might be able to do is because, I mean, my dogs, they're not great leash trained. They've gotten better uh, since I've gotten married. My wife is, and I've been taking them for more walk leash walks around mm -hmm. the neighborhood. Um, but you know, when they're in a yard or they're somewhere and they don't have their vests or their, their e-collars on, they act like normal dogs. Uh, and then as soon as I put those vests and those e-collars on them to take them hunting, their drive just goes through the roof and it, they will run differently. They run nose down because they're trying to find that scent. Right. So that thinking of, you know, using a different style harness or something, it yes. would be, they're smart enough would probably be smart enough to figure out the difference in, okay, this is what I'm doing with this job when I wear this. Right. I mean, we say that in um, obedience using different collars. There's the, you know, there's a flat buckle collar. There's a martingale collar. There's the choke chain prong collar. Um, dogs know when they're, when, when that collar's on, they know when they have a bark collar on. Mm -hmm. And they know if they should bark or they can whine or how high they can whine. Right, right. <laughs> So, yeah, I think you can do that. Okay. I mean, it would be hard for the, like you said, about the gunshots and the bird dogs. Yeah, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to go that route, but the, the scent trial, you know, with the birch and the anise. Right. I think it's something that interests me, seeing my mom work with her dogs a little bit doing that. It, and watching today a little bit, uh, another class. It was, it, it's cool to see. It's all, it, that's why I like pheasant hunting and, and just bird hunting in general with my dogs is that it's cool to see the dogs working. And doing what their instinct, so, yeah, what their instinct, instinct tells them to in, do. Yes. Uh, so to see all kinds of different breeds of dogs just do this sort of scent work and finding scents, and they're they have a purpose. They're not just laying on the couch, and they're not just you know cuddle monsters. Now, I will say my dogs are huge cuddle <laughs> monsters whenever they're allowed, but to give them a purpose in life, it's cool to see them work and and do that kind of stuff yeah instincts i i love to tell the story of taking my first lab jake he he's, he was crazy um but i took him to a working certificate um for labs 
where they do hunt work. You know, you got to behind the blind, Mm -hmm. the gunshot goes off, you hear the bird land in the water and they have to go retrieve it. I trained him in obedience up to what they call the second level is a companion dog, CDX, where they have to retrieve a dumbbell. They have to, you know, bring it back. They have to jump over a jump and bring it back. Um, He had never seen a bird in his life. And, you know, we sent him out. He ran up to the bird. He sniffed it. And, you know, they said, well, let's try this again. So when I sent him again and he went flying up to the dead bird, I yelled, take it, which is a command you use for the dumbbell. Picked it up. Never hesitated again after that. Brought it back. I never took him formally swimming. He passed his working certificate the first time. (laughs) It was funny, but uh, he... uh, yeah, he had so much instinct kicked in on that dog that it was beautiful to watch. Yeah, I, my oldest dog, Whiskey, I mean, I did very little training in the very beginning when she was a puppy. Introduced her to birds, introduced her to some scents, but then I wasn't hunting a whole lot because between the new job and coaching and everything. So eventually I brought her back, and to see her instinct and what she just knew this is what I'm supposed to do, it was cool to see. Uh, my favorite story is then the younger one, Camo. Uh, I decided after a full season of just hunting my older dog, okay, I'm going to bring the other dog out. And I'm just going to let her basically just learn from what the older dog is, is doing. And just try to stay out of the way because everything that Whiskey does wrong is because of me. And we were going through the first field and Camo's sort of mimicking Whiskey and, and doing some different stuff. But she, you could tell she didn't really know what was going on. We're just sort of going for a walk off the leash type deal. And then all of a sudden, Whiskey went on point, and Camo looked at her, and as soon as, so she started going towards her, and as soon as she got close enough, the bird went up, I shot the bird, they both ran towards the bird, and at that point, you could almost see, like, the light bulb go off over Camo's head, like, that's why we're here, and from that point on, she has probably the best bird drive of a dog that I've been around um, she just, she understands now what she's supposed to do. How cool. Uh, so, you know, just seeing, I mean, with her, anything, if anyone ever goes hunting with me and they see, they see her, they, a lot of times she's not a rock star dog by any means. She's not going to be a field champion or anything, but everyone sort of says like, Hey, she's, you know, she's pretty good. And it's like, that's all her. I've taught her literally nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, that's yeah. just what she's, you know, bred to do. Yeah. I think that's awesome. Just seeing dogs work and, and do something with their lives i think it's just it's just such a cool concept and oh yeah it's awesome to see yeah i mean my nine month old aussie all of my other two aussies they're sheep dogs mm-hmm. they're you know herd sheep the other two went heck no they're bigger than me i want no parts of those things my third one ren is smaller than the other two and she she saw sheep like when she was nine months old and went let me at them <laughs> and literally she you know we don't have enough sheep around here for me to go but she the instinct kicking in mm-hmm. and that's what I'm like yes that's what I want yeah but I just don't have any sheep near me anyways <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's time for our call to action so is there anything that you want listeners to know about scent work or training or working with dogs that would be important to them. I the bond that you get working with your dogs is so um rewarding that yes we pay money and we go to trials and we want to do good because we put money out there but mm. like we say in agility and like we should say in tri- in um scent work the dogs didn't write the check 
They didn't drive themselves there. It was us. These dogs do it all, you know, because they love us and they'll do anything for us. So always remember to have a good time. It, you know, as I've said to students, you go to a trial to take a test to see if you trained hard enough to take that test. If you passed, good for you. If you didn't, guess what? You got to go training still. Mm. And to just remember, it's all about having fun with your dog. But when you and, but when you are training, you also have to remember it's not instinctual to them. Mm. I mean, the nose is awesome, right? But you are teaching them a certain thing, and and consistency and timing is the most important thing. If you don't have that and the dedication to to put towards it, then you're not going to get what you you, know, you only get out of it what you put into it like they say about a lot of stuff yes uh kathy thanks for coming on this has been great uh really enjoyed it oh i did too thank you <laughs> all right you can go ahead and have this treat for sitting in on that interview uh i really love that conversation and i want to thank kathy again for joining me to discuss a personal passion of hers uh, dogs are such great companions, and there's a lot of different breeds out there. I think the biggest thing that you need to think about if you're thinking about getting a dog uh, or changing breeds is you need to look at your own lifestyle and also think about what do I want to do with this dog. There are some breeds out there that absolutely 100% need work. Border Collies, Britneys. German short hairs, right? The working dogs, the gun dogs, the sporting dogs, those dogs need work. They need to exercise their brains, right? One thing I love about scent work is that it's another way to exercise your dog. It's a great way to put your dog to work. And anytime that you are working to achieve a goal, like scent work or hunting or whatever it is, with your dog, it's going to build a powerful bond between you and your new best friend. I want you to join us next week. We are going to look back on a pheasant hunt in North Dakota. Uh, I went out with my father and uh, we met a new friend. Uh, we've known each other for a little bit. Uh, but he helped show us around, so we're going to talk about that pheasant hunt. Until next week, with that one, share this podcast with a friend, please, please, please. And leave us a rating, review, subscribe on iTunes, right? So you can be the first one to listen to this podcast every week when it's released. And as always, of course, stay wild. Mm -hmm.